that he is loved beyond more than he could even imagine. That you love him. No matter where he's been, what he's done, that does not change how much you love him. And we just lift up Jim and his wife and this entire family during this time. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen, amen. Thank you, Bubba. Uh, before we get to kickoff, I have to recognize Candace Wallace and our entire creative stage design team. Come on. Come on now. I mean, an amazing job. I don't, how many knows the, the line flying around up here? Uh, see, you've got the, uh, we're calling this series, we, it's week one of our series, The Island of Misfits, or The Isle of Misfits, uh, a little Christmas trivia. Anybody know where that name, The Isle of Misfits, where that comes from? Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. See, in my planning and strategic sessions with my staff, I discovered one of the negatives of having such young leadership and staff is no one knows what the Isle of Misfit toys is. In fact, I send this text out, uh, ask it, or uh, email, said, hey, here's, here's the different characters in, in this movie. Uh, see if you can come up and think of someone with an idea that compare them to the Bible. I get a text back from, I'm not going to say their name, but they're the male student pastor of, of 412 ministry. Uh, <laughs> That starts talking about, well, you know, buddy, the elf is, I, I said, hey, bro, wrong movie. Uh, <laughs> but at least thank you for the effort. Thank you for the effort. But if you don't know, it centers around really three key characters. One of them, of course, being Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. Then you've got an elf that, uh, anybody know his name? Hermie. Hermie the elf, and then you've got this miner that mines for gold that is constantly looking for the next big score. Anybody know his name? Yukon Cornelius. Yukon, he'd take his little thing and throw it up there in the air and spin around, come down, land in and lick it. Nope, no gold here. No silver here. Uh, I grew up watching that movie. I grew up loving it and and and. and but, but when you hear these names, uh, you know, anybody know anybody named Rudolph? You do? Oh, you said, mm-hmm. Just anybody, not any deer. Anybody. What about Hermie? What about Yukon Cornelius? No, because you, know, you hear those names, you're like, no wonder they were misfits. Uh, I mean, because, come on, we can come up with some strange names. See, y'all don't want to say it because you've named, some of you've named your kids some strange names. I remember when Kennedy was born, and uh, one of Denise's aunts was asked, her, said, so what's her name? And Denise said, Kennedy. And her aunt goes, what a strange name. And Denise goes, is it Gertie Mae? Is it really? <laughs> Don't be offended if you know a Gertie Mae, or if you are Gertie Mae, but you've got a strange name. Uh, but, but, I mean, you look at some of the names. Uh, let me give you some celebrity children's names. Penn Gillette. Do you know a Penn and Teller? 
named their daughter Moxie Crime Fighter. Uh, Frank Zappa has three children, Dweezil, <laughs> Diva Muffin, and Moon Unit. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, I'm a Stallone fan. I saw the new, the new uh, Last Blood, First Blood, Second Blood, whatever it was. But I'm a, I'm a fan. He named his son Sage Moonblood. And Jason Lee, you may know who he is. Um, um, Earl, my name is Earl, actor, he's been in a lot of movies. Uh, he, he, he named his son Pilot Inspector. That's not, when asked, hey, why Pilot? He said, he said, I heard it in a song by a band called Granddaddy that said, he's simple, he's dumb, he's the pilot. Names. I could go on and go on. And, uh, we, we name our kids strange names. Uh, uh, e even when uh, uh, Sheridan was telling them, uh, we're going to name her baby Juno. He's like, Juno. Juno. But we do. Anybody heard of a guy by the name? Of, I'm going to put it up on the screen. And I'm going to ask Ronnie to read his last name. Huber, Blaine, Wolfsha, Glesenstein, Bergendorf. Anybody heard of him? You might know him by his full name. His full name is Adolf Blaine Charles David Earl Frederick Gerard Hubert Irvin, John Kenneth Lloyd Martin Nero Oliver Paul Quincy Randolph, Sherman Thomas Uncas, Victor William Xerxes Yancey Zeus Wolfenstein Bergendorf. That is his real name. That's not a made up name. He holds the record for the longest personal name ever used. He also holds the record for the world's loneliest man. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But his name is made up of 27 names, each starting with a different letter of the alphabet in consecutive order. It's like his parents wanted him to get picked on at school. Uh, I mean, they, it's like they were setting him up for failure. Can we agree that's a lot of names for one person? Come on, right? It's a lot of names. Uh, but even old Huber has nothing on one man that has 170 plus names and titles in the Bible. Jesus. But, but unlike Huber's parents that gave him names just trying to be, you know, hey, let's name that they really have no meaning. Every single 170 names and titles that Jesus has carries significant meaning. Every one of them. Uh, there's no one else in all of history that has been given more names or titles than Jesus. He's called everything from Alpha, the Omega, Bright Morning Star, the Lion of Judah, to the Lamb of God. Uh, and, and so today, what I'd like to do in this opening series is go over each of those 170 names. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So how long are we going to be here? Uh, uh, but I'm kidding. But I do want to look at one name. One name in particular. It is the first name given to Jesus uh, by the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before he was ever born. It's found in Isaiah 7:14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him 
Emmanuel, meaning God with us. That's the name I want us to look at today. That name gets, gets mentioned again in Matthew uh, one, chapter 1, uh, talking about the birth of Jesus, starting with verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived is hers from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save him from save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. God with us. I want to open up this series asking you a question. And here's the question I want to ask you today. What would you do if you were absolutely confident God was with you? What would you do? Uh, maybe, how would you live your life if you were absolutely confident God was with you? How would you approach work, going to your job? How would you approach your marriage, friendships, going to school? How would you approach those things? A life in general, if you were absolutely confident God was with you. Because let's be, let's be honest. A lot of times we don't feel like God is with us. Come on, can we be real? A lot of times we don't feel like he is with us. In fact, I'll go a, a, lot, a step further and say, a lot of times we feel like God is far, far away. Just watching on this mess. Look at all this mess. Uh, I, you can't see him. You can't feel him. You can't hear him. Things are falling apart. Things aren't going the way you'd hoped they would. Come on, anybody ever been there? Come on, be honest, church. I mean, it's just like, what, what is going on? That's when you really have to lean in and answer the question, do I truly believe that God is with me? Do I really believe that? Even though I can't feel him, even though I can't see him, even though I can't hear him, am I absolutely confident God is with me? Because here's our human condition. It causes us to, to process things in our mind. If God is on our team, we should win every game. Are you with me? If God is on our side, the bills should never be late. They get paid not just on time, but ahead of time. If, if God is with us, why do I or someone I know, someone I love, have cancer? If God is with us. If God is with us, our marriages should never have problems. Come on. If God is with us, why can't my kid ever seem to get it right? If God is with us, why am I constantly wrestling with this addiction or this sin? You see, when life hits you hard, when life hits you like that, that's when you have to ask yourself, what would somebody in my circumstances do if they were absolutely confident God was with them? How would they react? How would they process this? Here's what I know to be true about us circumstances. If you've got a bulletin, this is your first feeling. 
circumstances can blur our vision to the point that we can't see God. There's a scene in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. The whole story centers around this. You know, he's rejected. He's a misfit. He's got this shiny nose. But then there comes a time at the end of the movie where this storm blows in, this blizzard blows in. And Santa's like, I guess we're going to have to call off Christmas this year because I can't see, can't see through the storm. And Rudolph steps in. And what he does is, listen, I'm going to have to trust the one that's pulling this sleigh, that he sees what I can't see. When it comes to life, there are times that's what we have to do. Trust that we can't see. The storm has hit us so hard. Life has hit us so hard. We can't see God. We can't hear God. We can't feel God. And we have to lean in. But I am absolutely confident that God is pulling this sleigh. That God is at the front of this, so I can't see. Because circumstances can blur your vision and make it hard to see God. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. This is where we're going to spend the remainder of the day. And I know this is not the Christmas story, but I believe it has a lot to show us when it comes to being absolutely confident that Emmanuel, God, is with us. Genesis chapter 37, starting with verse 2. A lot of you will know this story If you don't, trust me, I'm going to elaborate a whole lot. So, when Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, two great names. Uh, But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Joseph was a tattletale. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. You might know it as a coat of many colors. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. Get this. They couldn't say a kind word to him. Anybody see any tension in this family? Come on, any, anybody that's reminds you, don't have to raise your hand, reminds you of your family. Uh, the, the, Joseph, he's the youngest. He's a tattletale. And to make matters worse, his dad Jacob doesn't even try to cover up that he's my favorite. That's my, everybody knows. His brothers had built up such a hatred for Joseph that the Bible says they couldn't come up with one kind word. This reminds me of a story. When we lived down in, in uh, at the Atlanta area in Swanee, and uh, we would often have these family meetings where uh, if, if the kids were arguing, if things were going on, we'd say, all right, family meeting, gather around the table. And so Denise and I, we had uh, Zion, Sheridan, and Kennedy around the table. They had been arguing, going back. And so we were making them, hey, parents, if you've never done this, kids love it. Uh, And we were making them say five nice things that they love about each other. And so Zion and Sheridan had really been going at it. And so it gets down to Zion. Zion, say something nice about your sister Sheridan. I don't know anything about it. And he got to the point where he was in tears. Zion, say something nice about your sister. And finally he blurted, okay, you've got nice teeth. 
The Bible says that Joseph's brothers couldn't even say, okay, Joseph, you've got nice teeth. Since they couldn't find one single thing to say. And can we be honest? Part of it was his dad's fault because his brothers saw the favoritism. Part of it was his brother's fault. But let's be honest, part of it was his own fault too. I mean, it was his own fault because he, uh, God would give Joseph these dreams. And in the dreams, they all favored Joseph. And Joseph would run and tell them to his brothers. Hey, yeah, one day you're going to bow before me. Yeah, one day you're going to do this. And, it, and the Bible says in verse 8, they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. So we've got tension in this family. His brothers can't stand him. Let's jump down to verse 12. Soon after this, my where am I at? There we go. Thank you. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture, pasture their father's flock at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep uh, uh, at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a port. What was Jacob asking Joseph to do? Tattletale. Hey, go find out. Make sure you brothers, because I know how they get when they're off by themselves and bring me a report. He sends him. He, he sends his brother off. Joseph goes to the place where his brothers are supposed to be. If you follow the story, his brothers aren't where his dad told him they would be. And I can hear Joseph. Now, oh, wait, the dad finds out they weren't where they're supposed to be. And so Joseph, after looking all day, he finally comes across his brothers. His brothers see Joseph coming from a distance, and they begin to have a conversation that went something like this. Oh, look, here comes the dreamer. Here comes daddy's favorite. Here comes that little tattletale. I can't stand him. Let's kill him and then rip his cloak, his coat up, that nice one that dad got him, put blood on him, tell him an animal that is the conversation that is going on as they see him approaching. And look at this, verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. They grabbed him, threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up, saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. So they stripped their brother naked, throw him into this empty well, and... and they're going about eating as if this is a normal day. And they're probably eating the lunch that Joseph brought to them. Hey, thank you for the, thank you for the lunch, buddy. And it gets even better. Joe, Judah said to his brother, Judah, not Judas. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. So instead of hurting him, Let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is their brother. Our flesh and blood and his brothers agree. Judah, the merciful, says, guys, let's don't kill him. He's their brother. Let's sell him into slavery. Let's make some money off of him at least. Come on. So they end up selling Joseph to, to the traders for 20 pieces of silver. The traders end up taking Joseph to Egypt to be sold as a slave. Now, now, other than being a brat, other than being a tattletale, daddy's favorite, what has Joseph done to deserve any of this treatment? Come on. I mean, and here's a very real question that, honestly, I've asked, and I've heard others ask. They said, 
would God really allow something like this to happen to someone that he really loved? Come on, I'll ask it. Joseph didn't deserve it. The dreams the dream that his brothers were getting so mad about, guess who gave them to him? God. God gave them to him. The kid, this kid gets stripped of his, not just his clothes, of his identity. He gets thrown into an empty well, now sold as slaves. It'd be, even, it'd be easy to ask, God, are you even paying attention to what's happening here? Are you seeing what's going on? This kid has it all, the perfect life. He is set up for success. He's got whatever he wants. And now in an instant, his world gets flipped upside down. Anybody ever been that way? You've been there. Life is going good. Things are going great. And bam, you get a phone call that turns your world upside down. You get served papers that turn your world upside down. And and this kid, he must be, I have to wonder, what was going through Joseph's mind during all this? Where are they taking me? Who's going to buy me? Me, now now this is just me being honest. I would be wondering also, I I wonder if I'm going to fetch a lot of money. I wonder if the bid's going to be, it's going to be really high. Come on now, come on. (laughs) But he had to be wondering, what kind of slave will I be? Will I ever see my dad again? Will I ever see my homeland again? Why is this happening to me? Did did I do something to deserve this? You see, we have the advantage of knowing how the story ends, but Joseph didn't. I, I mean, if you're looking at this in the natural, as Joseph is, you can't see God really at work in any of this. All you see is, I've been stripped, I've been thrown in a pit, and now I've been sold into slavery. Where's God in all this? Would God allow something like this to happen to someone he really loved? Let's make it more personal. You look at your marriage or your financial situation, your job situation, your kids, or the mess that it's in or the mess it's headed to. And there are times when it hits you, we want to scream out, God, where all are you in all this? Don't you even care what I'm going through right now? God, would you really allow, if you really love me, is this something you would really allow to happen? Come on. That's where Joseph is because by all appearance, God is nowhere to be found in this story. But let me tell you, God is a lot closer than you think. In fact, he is in the very middle of this circumstance. But Joseph couldn't see it. All Joseph knew, this is the moment. So Joseph gets taken to Egypt, gets purchased by a guy named Potiphar, uh, who is one of Pharaoh's officials. And Potiphar takes him, puts him to work in his house. And that's where we pick up the story. So, so look at this, verse 30, or chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Ho, ho, hold up, hold up. Let's back this up a little bit. His brothers stripped him, not just of his clothes, but of his identity. They then throw him into a dry well. They then sell him to some traders. Those traders take him to Egypt where he is sold as a slave. And you want to tell me the Lord is with him? I mean, come on, that seems odd to me. The Lord was with Joseph. Can we be honest? It doesn't seem like the Lord is with Joseph. 
I mean, when you look at it, it seems to me that if the Lord was with Joseph, it would be Joseph's brothers that were being put up on the slavery block. And Joseph would be back home sipping sweet tea. If the Lord was with Joseph, it seems to me that if God were with Joseph, things would be a lot different for Joseph right now. This doesn't make sense, God. Good things are happening uh, to bad people, and bad things are happening to good people. Anybody ever wondered that? God, if you're with me, why is this happening? But after all that, he's been through, the Bible says, the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Get this, Potiphar didn't believe in, in Joseph's God. You know that? I mean, this wasn't, he, he didn't believe it. He didn't know anything about Joseph's God. But he watched how Joseph handled the circumstance that he found himself in. He watched how he responded. And look what it says. This pleased Potiphar. So he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household. Everything he owned. This is what you need to understand. Others take notice of how you respond to your circumstance. Others are watching how you're going to respond, how you're going to react. It says Potiphar noticed Joseph. Hey, look how he handles himself, how he responds to this. And because of that, he ends up putting Joseph in charge of his entire household. What was Joseph doing that caused Potiphar to take notice? What was he doing? He was simply doing what anybody else would do if they were absolutely confident God was with them, even in the bad situations. Check this out, verse 5. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, get this, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. Come on, if I'm like Joseph, I'd be like, God, you know what, I'm glad you're blessing Potiphar for my sake, but how about you bless me for my sake? Come on, God, but God blesses Potiphar because of Joseph. It seems, that seems insane to someone who isn't absolutely confident that God is with them. Story goes on. Joseph finds himself in this no-win situation. Verse 6, Joseph was very handsome and well-built man. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph, and she said, come to bed with me. Here's the situation. Joseph finds him. If I go to bed with her, if I sleep with her, she's probably eventually going to get tired of me and I'm going to be in trouble. If I say no, she's going to be trouble and cause trouble for me. So if I'm going to be in trouble either way, I might as well at least enjoy it. Come on, right? I, I at least might as well get in either way. He knows it's not going to end well for him. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Someone looking on would ask Joseph, do you not remember everything you've been put through? Why are you remaining loyal to a God 
that has allowed all this. Why are you remaining loyal to that? Think about it, Joseph. Where was God when you were betrayed by your brothers? I mean, where, where was God when you were stripped of your identity? Where was God when you were sold into slavery? Where is God now that you're far away from home and your family? Why would Joseph show that kind of commitment to God? Maybe Joseph knew something that nobody else looking on knew. Maybe Joseph was just absolutely confident that God was with him, even in this bad situation. Joseph says, I can't. It's for dishonored God. I can't do that. Can, can we be honest here now? Stay with me. It's hard to remain faithful to God when you feel like God's not being faithful to you. Can we be honest? When you feel like you've put out the prayers, you've called out, you've, even, you've gone on Facebook, you've, you've texted, got a prayer chain going, you, you let everybody know, and nothing is changing. Nothing is happening. Where you? It's kind of hard to not say, you know what, God, you're not doing anything. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Come on. It's okay to be honest about it. it it's hard. It's like being good isn't working. Tithing isn't working. Being the bigger person isn't working. I'm doing everything I know to do, but nothing is changing. It's in those moments. We have one of two choices that we can make. We can either make choices based upon our situation or make choices based upon God's promises. Joseph could have easily made a different choice. In fact, it would have been the easier choice just to go ahead and give in. Just go ahead. But he didn't. Let's read on verse, uh, verse 10. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. In other words, if she knew she was going to be on that side of the, the house, she, he was staying on this side of the house. One day, though, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. This kind of reminds me of some of the times I'm at home with Denise. Um, <laughs> Joseph, <laughs> Joseph, Tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hands as he ran from the house. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, get this, she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. Everybody comes running into the room. And look how Joseph's faithfulness to God is rewarded. Joseph says, no, I'm going to be faithful to God. Look how it's rewarded. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph, threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Now, if I'm Joseph, I'm thinking, what is the deal, God? I did the right thing. I, I did what I should do, and here I am in prison. What is going on? Any, come on, anybody ever feel that way? Like, I'm doing, why am I even trying, God? Come on. Why am I even trying to do better? Why am I trying to live this Christian life? Why do I even pray? 
But Joseph gets thrown into prison for doing the right thing. And look what verse 21 says. But the Lord was with Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. If I'm Joseph at this point in my walk, I'm thinking, hey, God, how about you go be with my brothers? Come on. How about you go be with somebody else for a while? Because you being with me has gotten me stripped of my clothes, my identity, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, and now in prison. Go be with anybody else but me, God. Come on now. Yeah, it felt that way. I, I mean, it, but, but the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. <laughs> I love this. And the Lord made Joseph a favor with the prison warden. Woohoo! <laughs> Me and the warden, we got good relations. Listen, the only time that it's a good thing that you and the warden have a good relationship is if you're going to visit someone in prison. Not that you're the prisoner. But the Lord was with Joseph. Good news. Joseph knew this. Here's what we've got to understand. How was Joseph able to stay focused and faithful to God? Joseph knew this. God's sovereignty does not depend upon your circumstance. God's sovereignty does not depend on whether he answers prayer the way you think he should answer those prayers. God's sovereignty does not depend on whether things turned out the way you thought they should turn out. And Joseph knew that God was sovereign whether he was in prison or whether he was in the palace. God was sovereign. Whether he was in the pit or whether he was in the palace, God was sovereign. He knew that God is sovereign. Check this out, verse 22, he's in prison. Before long, the warden, I've got to hurry. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. Here it is again. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. It'd be fair to say that a lot of us, if this was our story, we would have checked out a long time ago. We'd say, God, you're not with me. God, you're not. But here's what we need to understand. It's only when we look for God in the circumstances that we find him. If in the middle of the circumstances we're not looking for God, we're not focused, but we're letting it blur our vision, we won't find him. But if we look for him, we will find him. If we continue day in and day out looking for God in the situation, the circumstance, we will find him once again because of the way Joseph responds to his circumstance. Somebody noticed him because he's in prison. Well, he gets two new prison inmates. It turns out that Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief uh, baker kind of ticked off Pharaoh. They did something. He throws them in prison. Ends up both of them have two different dreams. And so Joseph says, hey, I I can tell you what those dreams mean. Tell them. The chief cupbearer tells Joseph his dream. Joseph says, hey, in three days, you're going to be restored to your position in Pharaoh's court. You're going to be out of here. Things are going to go back to normal. The chief baker says, man, that went so well for him. Hey, what's my dream mean? Uh, well, in three days, uh, you're going to get out of here. 
but you're going to be impaled on a pole. Uh, let me go back to sleep and try another dream. Uh, and so if you think through all this, Joseph, Joseph is just like, oh, I, I'm good. I'm good, man. God's got this. God's got this. That he wasn't trying. You need to think again. Look at verse 14. This is what he says. He says, please remember me. Do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so that I can get out of this place. I don't like where I'm at. Now, I'm confident God is with me. But that doesn't mean I have to like where I'm at. Are you hearing me? Everything happens, as Joseph said. The baker's put to death. Cut bears restored to his position. Man, it looks like things are finally going in Joseph's favor. Things are moving. He's going to get out. And then uh, chapter 40 ends with this verse. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. But you know what the good news is? The Lord was with him. It doesn't feel like good news when you're in prison. I mean, you're doing the right thing. You think, oh, I see daylight. And then you're forgotten about. You're praying for your marriage, but it seems like you're just drifting further apart. You're praying for your child, but it just seems like they keep making bad decision after bad decision. You, you've got job applications out everywhere, but nobody's calling you back. Uh, you keep tithing and giving, but your water's about to be turned off. Can anybody relate? And all these questions seem to be what runs through your head when you wake up, when you lie down. What do I do now, God? How am I going to get through this? How am I going to go on? And while the answer is not popular, the answer is that I have for you is this. You take the next step that anybody else would in your circumstance if they were absolutely confident God was with them. Listen, maybe right now life is good. Maybe the kids are acting in the right mind. Nobody's sick. Man, the bills are more getting paid. You got, you got money stored away. And it's easy during those times to say, yeah, God's with me. God's with me. But what about the times when it's not like that? Because there's going to be a time, and some of you are walking it through right now, that you're going to have to say this, my faith is in God, not in the outcome I want. My faith is in God, not whether I get this job or not. My faith is in God, not whether this marriage survives or not. My faith is in God, not, not whether this God heals this cancer, God heals this. My faith is in God, not in the outcome I want. Are we going to let our circumstance define our faith? Or are we going to let his promises that he is with me define us? Which one? We can spend countless hours trying to figure out why it happened. Why we're in this mess. Why? Or we could choose to say that God is who he is, says he is. That he does not lie. That he will do what he promised. That he is with us. That he will walk through us through any and every situation. Listen, don't ever judge or measure God's love for you or his will by what's going on in your life at that moment. So what does someone, if I can get Bob or, or Bob to come on. So what does someone like you do? that has a marriage that is on the brink of divorce. Passion's gone. They're just tolerating one another till the kids get out of the house. What does someone like you do that has a child that is constantly making wrong decisions? 
What does someone like you do that is financially out of options, can't find a job? They're about to lose it all. What does someone like you do that, that has battled and battled with an addiction? What does someone like you do that has gotten a bad report from the doctor? And it just keeps getting worse. What do you do? You do what anybody else would do. That was in your circumstance or situation would do if they were absolutely confident God was with them. You lean. You lean into the first name given to Jesus 700 years before he was even born. It says the Lord himself will give you a son. The virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with her. What do you do when you're walking through that? You lean into that name. God is with us. 170 names, titles given to Jesus. Why so many? I think he knew that this world in itself was just an island of misfits. And that every misfit was going to need him to be something different. And some of you here today, he, he said, hey, here's why. What, what do you, you need Jesus to be a deliverer? Do you need him to be a light to your path? Do you, do you need him to be a comforter, a prince of peace, a mediator, the one who sets people free? Do you need him to be hope, redeemer, wonderful counselor? Do you need him to be a father because yours was absent? What do you need? A friend of the friends? What do you need him to be? A savior? Because, man, your life is just not going anywhere and you need a Savior. Do, do you simply need to know Him as Emmanuel? God is with you. Stand with me across the room. Who do you need Jesus to be? You see, if you think if you think, Kelly, Jesus doesn't know me. If you've ever felt like a misfit, like you just don't fit in, like there's no, you need to understand this about Jesus. Jesus was a misfit among misfits. I mean, you read his genealogy. He was a misfit born among misfits. And he says, you need a redeemer. Do you need a comforter? Do you need peace? Do you need hope? Or do you just need to know that even during this bad situation, this season of your life, I am with you. Hands bowed, eyes closed. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Some of you need to hear this.
Some of you need to understand He is with you. And your faith cannot be dependent upon what you're going through, what you're facing right now. If that does not determine the sovereignty of God, He is holy, He is just, He is good, no matter what the circumstance, situation you're going through. But Kelly, I got myself into this mess. That doesn't change the fact that He loves you. That doesn't change the fact that He died for you. That doesn't change the fact that He's sovereign and wants nothing more than to be your Savior, Redeemer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, PK, if I'm being totally honest, I do not know Him as Savior. And I want to change that today. I want to know Him as Savior, Redeemer of my life. I want to know Him as the one that loves me right where I am. I won't leave me there. If that's you this morning, when you just be honest and say, I don't know Him as Savior. I need to know Him as Savior. If that's you, just raise your hand, hit back, eyes closed. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise you. Come on, anybody at all. I believe you're in this room. And I believe He's... Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart. Maybe you're here. And you say, Kelly, you don't, what I'm going through right now, if I'm being honest, it's hard to see that God is with me. And today, I just need to know God is with me. I need I need my faith to be God, not in the outcome I want. I need, I, I need to be, I, I want to stand absolutely confident that God is with me. I want to do whatever the person would do if they were absolutely confident that God was with them, no matter the situation. And I know there are people in here that are going through some junk right now, going through some hard times. You've prayed and you've prayed, but it seems like nothing is happening. And you're finding it harder and harder to stand strong. And today you need the reassurance that God is with you. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Yeah, come on, get them up. Hi, hi. Get them up. I want to pray with you. I'm going to pray with every person that has their hand raised. Here's what I... You can put your hand out for a moment because here's what I feel led to do. And I know we're out of time. I know we got people coming in for the 11 a.m. But this is more important to me. This right here, what's happening right now. If you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to be bold enough when I count to three to step out and get down here. And we're going to pray with you. And, and I'm believing that when we pray with you and join our faith with yours, maybe you're out of faith. Maybe you need somebody to jumpstart your faith. I believe that's going to happen. One, two, three. Come